Okay, we are live. Welcome to another edition of our weekly Wednesday uh, event where I have the fortunate opportunity to get to interview some of the top agents all across the country. And this time we have a special guest, Darcy. It's not in the country, in, in the Americas. So we have Darcy from Vancouver. So I'm, I'm really interested to hear um, the differences uh, between uh, what has happened there from the shelter in place perspective uh, given we've had several different speakers talk about what has been going on all across the U.S. But before we get to that, let's uh, have Darcy go ahead and do an intro about yourself, share a little bit of you know, your background, what you did prior to real estate, um, how long you've been in real estate, and if you, you know, operate a team or kind of the setup that you have today. Well, I, I don't often talk about what I did before real estate. <laughs> I, I've been in real estate for... Uh, I guess, officially licensed for just about 18 years. Um, before that, my uh, my formal education is in robotics engineering. So it's a little bit of a leap. People go, uh, what? You're a realtor? Why? Um, and really, I guess the short story is my uh, wife at the time didn't like my uh, career traveling all over the world, doing oh. projects for uh, different things and uh, never being around. Uh, and I became a realtor and ultimately that didn't work out with her. So I'm still a realtor, <laughs> uh, love it. I love what I do. I have a team, uh, myself and my partner started a team about uh, almost eight years ago. And we have now six uh, full-time realtors and two full-time admin staff. Uh, we sell about, uh, well, our target district is 125 homes. So we try to keep fairly busy uh, and we're in a market where the average sale price is just over a million dollars. So uh, sales volume is, is pretty good. We're pretty happy. Uh, we're very systemized and uh, you know, that allows me to have a little bit more flexibility. I get to deal with clients and, uh, and the staff takes care of a lot of the background work. So it works out pretty well for us. Very nice. And can you share, um, in terms of the team makeup, do you have specific agents that are buyer's agents, some that are seller's agents, or is it they're all, they do the whole thing, they just are working under one umbrella? Yeah, they're just working under one umbrella. We, okay. we really discussed the concept of having uh, buyer's agents, but decided that it actually makes more sense both for us and for our agents to be both. You know, they do listings, they do buyers. Uh, I think you know, on listings, the the team side of it is uh, is more substantial than it is on the buy side. Um, but everybody does both. Everybody does listings and buyers. Uh, we're a more listing based team, uh, probably uh, due to leadership influence. I think more than anything, mm -hmm. uh, we could probably expand our business by by dealing with more buyers. But uh, we do probably. Uh, about 70% listings of our total business. Wow, that's incredible. And uh, so can you share with the audience, so in America, for the most part, about mid-March, we basically had a nationwide shutdown and every area had their own phase of how they reopened. Uh, in your area, was there anything like that or what was the backstory? Yeah, I, well, it was mid-March. Actually, the... Uh, in British Columbia, where we are, uh, the provincial state of emergency was declared on March 17th. So March 17th, everything stopped. 
it was, uh, you know, shelter in place, basically. There are some essential services, obviously, uh, not a lot different than what's happening in the United States. Uh, and strangely, uh, about a week after the, the kind of lockdown started, uh, real estate was declared an essential service, uh, simply because there's real estate's a huge economic driver here. And uh, there's so many people that are involved in that business from uh, lawyers and, you know, the buyers and sellers that are in process. Uh, the provincial government said, you know, we can't abandon these people and, and leave them in the in the middle of a transaction and, and not allow them to, to close it. So uh, we were declared an essential service, but that didn't mean business as usual. Uh, we're not allowed to do open houses or live open houses. We're doing uh, virtual open houses, which... Uh, you know, technology has really allowed us to do a lot of things that even a few years ago we couldn't have done. We're doing a lot of showings virtually. Uh, just last week, uh, we were allowed to kind of reopen uh, for business, which means that we could go back into our offices, but we have to have uh, appropriate social distancing policies in place. We have to have a policy manual uh, for both the employees and our guests that a community office and, you know, appropriately positioned and, and distanced. And we have to provide hand sanitizer and masks and all that kind of stuff for uh, staff and visitors. And uh, on the out of the office side, it's a little strange. I, you know, March 17th, uh, the tap shut off for business, even uh, transactions that we had that were in process, most of them stopped if they weren't already in the in the place that they were firm and just uh working towards closing uh buyers stopped viewing homes because we weren't essentially weren't allowed to view homes uh sellers that were in the process of getting their homes ready to to put on the market stopped and uh, i would say up until probably about 10 days ago it was full stop and now we're starting yeah. to to re-engage so you had basically a little over two months of everything com at a complete halt. Yes. Uh, wow. February and the first 10 days of March were super busy for us. We were like, uh, you know, going great guns and, and looking like we were going to have a fantastic uh, spring. And then it shut off in March. So uh, from mid-March till uh, mid-May, we essentially did nothing. Really? So in yeah. America, what's interesting is, yeah, that's very, wow, that's, <laughs> that's, I, I thought we had it bad here. So here in America, we, we are able to, uh, by appointment only go still see properties and, and offers were still being made. Um, but just a few weeks after the shelter in place happened, but it sounds like from your, in, in, in your area, like even those private showings were not allowed. Is that fair to say? Uh, no, we're allowed to to do private showings, but most people weren't willing to. Wow. Uh, there were still uh, offers being written, but you know the the contrast between early March and early April, where normally right. April and May are the the busiest months of the year in terms of transactions, uh, but the contrast between the beginning of March and the beginning of April was amazing. Right. We went from super busy. Uh, deals every day kind of thing to, you know, we're, yeah. we're booking one showing a week. Wow. Uh, and you know, it's, it's picked up a little bit now. 
Uh, but certainly, you know, we have those protocols where, you know, uh, scheduled appointments for showings and we have to provide hand sanitizer, gloves, masks. Buyers aren't allowed to touch anything in the homes, can't have more than two people in, in a property at a time. Uh, and we have to remain uh, six feet away from even our buyers that are in the homes. Mm-hmm. The, probably the strangest thing I find is <clears throat> just with the, the colleagues that you do business with all the time where you see other realtors out when you're showing homes and that kind of stuff, it's really odd not being able to shake hands. Mm-hmm. Because that's, I mean, that's a big part of our business is that relationship aspect with the other agents. And yeah. it's it's kind of become awkward. I'm sure it'll at some point get back to normal, but uh, that's that's been really strange. Now, I noticed you have a nice, you're, it looks like you're in the office right now. Are, um, are, your, are your colleagues and coworkers wanting to come into the office? Do you feel you will still need an office moving forward or, or what is your perception of the office space itself? Um, well, <clears throat> our office state space is kind of uh, unique anyway. Uh, we have an office, this is our team office. Uh, it's not a brokerage office, so this is our team office. Uh, and we have uh, this space for our team, but we also rent out uh, office space to others. Hmm. So we have a, a development marketing company in here. We have a staging company. We have two mortgage brokers. We have uh, a lawyer that rents space from us. So, uh, mm-hmm. you know, it's more of a shared office space that's keeping people from commuting to downtown locations. We're a little bit out in the burbs. So mm-hmm. uh, we do have people that, that work all over the place. But, uh, you know, April 1st, basically all of our tenants in our office space left. Wow. What, so, were they not long-term contracts or were they? Uh, uh, we, don't, how yeah, does, we don't, we don't do that. We do month to month just oh, really? because right. it's, it's super easy for us to, to fill the space. And even if we don't, uh, it's not the end of the world, but certainly uh, from a downtown core perspective, there's a lot of people that are not going to go back to their offices. Right. So that's definitely going to be a trend. So, our little office space where people can come in on an hourly basis or a daily basis and rent an office space is going to work well in the future. Uh, Hmm. We, you know, obviously, you know, we're with EXP, so we don't have a brokerage office, which is just fine with us. We don't need one. Uh, We, you know, we do things in the cloud anyway. And, uh, no, we do offer a lot of training that uh, it doesn't matter if people are here uh, you know, we have space to have uh, training in our our office, but uh, most of the time, the the agents that attend the training are attending remotely anyway. So, mm-hmm. uh, in, in that respect, no change. Uh, I think just from a a work perspective, uh, I can work from anywhere. I, mm-hmm. You know, I, we have this office. Uh, it's not a huge piece of overhead, so we'll keep it. Got it. And so can you share a little bit of um, the trends that you have found over the last, let's say in the beginning of the year, were people at that time buying in downtown Vancouver area? Were they buying in, um, I believe there's like some pretty large, I forget what the island is called. There's a very large Vancouver island. That's Vancouver. a whole different market. Oh, is it? Okay. Yeah. Like, like, do you see, do you see, um, was there, was there a, a big traction of a lot of people that really wanted to get closer and closer to downtown pre 
COVID? Yeah. And, and is there any signs of what you're seeing right now? Well, certainly uh, pre-COVID, the market was quite busy, like quite active. Lots of buyers uh, kind of coming off the fence. The, the mortgage rates, uh, you know, everybody was afraid that rates were going to start creeping up this year. Uh, and, you know, early in the year, January and February, that looked like it wasn't going to be the case. They were going to be stable. Now they've come down. So, mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, there was lots of buyer activity. Uh, lots of enthusiasm about the the market, uh, the spring market, and then COVID shut it off. And yeah, we're seeing a difference. Certainly, uh, the rental market, like uh, you know, rent rates in the downtown core have dropped significantly. And by significantly, I'm talking like twenty percent almost. Uh, and that's simply because of you know, real estate's a supply and demand market. And all the people that were doing Airbnb uh, are now in the long-term rental market. You know, right. the, the tourism uh, market stopped. There's no, there's no tourists yeah. coming. There's no flights. And that's right. huge for Vancouver. And there's a, there's a, a large number of uh, Airbnbs downtown hmm. that have suddenly gone onto the rental market. So when the rental prices go down, people are sometimes encouraged to rent rather than buy. But I'm still seeing lots of vacancy in rental downtown, and people are definitely trending to be looking out in the burbs, uh, particularly in cases where they had an office job downtown, and their company said, well, we can set you up to work remotely. And now that they're set up to work remotely, they're finding that productivity is almost the same, and uh, in some cases better, and the costs of having them, the, the workers in the office is lower. So the corporate overhead is lower. So I see a real trend of people moving out of the core into the burbs. It's, it's more, afford, more affordable for them to buy a house. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, even little things that you don't think about that often is things like parking. Mm -hmm. You know, when you go downtown, and I know it's the same in San Francisco, when you go downtown and uh, you work downtown, the biggest problem you have if you don't live downtown is how do you get there and where do you park if you drive and it's expensive. Uh, right. So, you know, that trend definitely seems to be uh, something to watch is, you know, we really saw a trend over the last probably uh, five years, especially of urbanization of population. Like people were moving out of the smaller towns into the big centers and now we're kind of seeing a little bit of the opposite, opposite, but people aren't talking about moving to small towns. Right. They're just talking about moving out of the core of the city into the burbs. And over the last probably month, I would say, you know, March, April, not so much. People weren't talking about that so much, but certainly in May, people started talking about, hey, you know, I'm going to try to continue to do my job remotely and move out to the burbs where I can uh, afford a different type of home. Mm -hmm. Now, do you suspect prices will rise in, in the burbs? Because if you think about the density in the downtown corridor, I mean, it, they all just build up, right, yeah. generally. But if if there's even a, a, a small outflow of those people that go into the burbs, the burbs are basically just independent houses for the most part. I mean, there I'm sure there's condos, but there's nowhere this kind of density. Do you see um, prices actually going up because they can't even take on this? this outflow of such from such a dense area or, or what are your thoughts? Uh, well, right now in the suburbs, uh, we're seeing 
a lot of competition in kind of mid-priced homes. Uh, so, you know, in a market where you wouldn't expect that we're going to have competing offers and properties selling for over asking and that kind of thing. Uh, right now we are, mm. uh, there's not a lot of property available on the market. The inventory is probably about half what it normally would be, mm-hmm. but, uh, the buyers are competing for the good listings. So I think in the, in the suburban markets, we're going to see more of that, uh, you know, some of the economists are forecasting huge declines in real estate prices, like 20%. Uh, honestly, uh, what we've seen since from March to now, we've actually seen a slight increase in prices, which right. kind of defies logic, but it's true. Uh, and we're certainly seeing in the mid price, the, you know, the, the luxury homes, the high price stuff isn't really selling. Right. Uh, the mid price stuff is starting to sell again. People are qualifying for mortgages. They're, uh, you know, they're buying. And yeah, I, I think that it is probably going to create a little bit more balance in, in pricing, you know, the cost of a, a condo downtown, uh, versus, uh, you know, a townhouse in the suburbs or a detached house in the suburbs. They're, they're similar, which, right. you know, you get two to three times the living space and potentially a little yard for the same price. And then you don't have to drive to work if you're working remotely. Yeah. I think right. that's going to have a, an impact. We'll we'll have to see what happens in the fall. I think the fall is really going to be interesting because that's when we're going to see the impact of the people that have lost their jobs. Like, you know, what's going to happen with their housing situation. Are they going to be forced to sell in some cases? And, you know, if that creates an uh, influx of inventory into the market, it's, it's potentially going to drive the prices down. But we don't know that yet. Is there any, like, how much bank support are the, is there in Canada these days? So if, like, in the U.S., it's honestly too easy to get forbearance right now, um, which basically delays payment altogether and allows them to potentially restructure a loan. Is there that kind of um, early government support in Canada? There is. Uh, for those of you watching that don't know, I, in Canada, uh, the banking industry is much more tightly, tightly regulated than it is in the United States. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the majority of uh, home loans are insured by the federal government. So uh, essentially what the federal government has said to all of the banks is that you must set up a system that allows uh, people with mortgages did defer their mortgage payments. So uh, that's there. People can defer their mortgage payments. Uh, and it basically just extends the, the amortization of their loan. It's not, uh, you know, they're not being forgiven. They're just being deferred. Uh, so it's going to increase interest costs, but it's allowing people that have lost their jobs to stay in their homes. So, uh, yes, that's certainly there. Uh, and we're, you know, we're lucky enough to have lots of government programs that are helping people that are temporarily out of work, that, uh, they're receiving a, a guaranteed $500 a week from, from the government, which for a lot of young people is as much as they were making anyway. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, there's, there's, uh, credit card interest deferrals or in some cases, 
some of the banks are actually crediting back the entire amount of the interest on credit cards if you apply, uh, and others are 50%. Uh, and they have all set up systems where online you can just go in and, and defer your minimum payment on your credit card if you're carrying a balance. So there's lots of programs in place for people that, that are helping right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, they well, probably won't last forever. Yeah. Uh, in general, from what you've seen in the past, like what percentage of your buyers are just local individuals and how much do you see that are, are foreign buyers? Um, let's say early, you know, pre COVID and, uh, even as of right now, as of right now, there are no foreign buyers, uh, but we're starting to get inquiries again. Uh, and honestly, the majority of the inquiries that, that we get are from the United States, not from some other country. Uh, so the United States is actually the biggest uh, foreign consumer of real estate in in British Columbia, or at least in the lower mainland of British Columbia. Uh, we do also have uh, some buyers from overseas. Uh, you know, we we had a a large influx of uh, immigrants from Hong Kong in the late eighties, early nineties, and now we're kind of at that point where uh, there's a few more. Uh, moving from there that have family here and that kind of thing. Uh, we also have some immigration from, uh, you know, from India, from Iran, from uh, mainland China has been uh, significant over the past decade or so. Uh, but in terms of an overall percentage of our market, the vast majority of it is people moving from place to place within uh, greater Vancouver or uh, immigration from other parts of Canada. So, uh, as a percentage and people always say, Oh no, the Vancouver market is like heavily influenced by, uh, offshore money. Well, in the luxury, like the super high end, of course it is. And if you look at real estate around the world, that's the case. It's the same in San Francisco. Uh, but, uh, really in terms of the overall influence of the market, it's about 5%. Wow. That's it. Yeah. It def it definitely catches a lot of headlines, um, yeah. especially a few years ago when there are these headlines. And I'd love to get your opinions of it because it's a lot of it is generally clickbait. But there were these comments of mainland Chinese people a few years ago were just buying houses and keep leaving them as empty. Um, uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, it's not just mainland Chinese people. <laughs> Okay. There's a lot of people. And what people don't understand is there's reasons that people are doing that. I mean, the value of the land is significant. And, you know, in, in greater Vancouver, uh, the value of land over the last 200 years has doubled every 12 years. Mm-hmm. So it's rising at about 6% a year long term. Mm-hmm. That's just the dirt. So if somebody wants to build a luxury home, and, you know, around the world, most luxury buyers don't have just one home. Mm-hmm. They have a home in Vancouver. They have a home in New York. They might have a home in L.A. They might have a home, you know, somewhere else in Europe or whatever. Uh, and, you know, yes, there are some instances where people bought luxury homes that are, you know, five, six, eight million dollars. And they want to either rebuild or renovate that home. And the time it takes them to get a permit to do that is years. It's not months, it's years. 
you know, to get uh, to get a permit for uh, construction of a single family home in Vancouver right now, it's about a one year waiting period before you can get the permit. And then it's the time of construction on top of that. So it takes a long time. And, you know, many of these homes are in that process of either planning uh, reconstruction or uh, or renovation or uh, they're homes that people have bought as an investment. Sometimes they're part of a land assembly where it's gonna be redeveloped into a higher density, but the general public doesn't know that or understand it. So mm -hmm. yes, there's some of that, but it's certainly not, uh, it's not as big a deal as it's made out to be in the press. Interesting, but the, the government did do certain aspects to try to curb it though, right? Because I, I understand there may be, there is some sort of additional taxes related to vacancies that there, is there some new things that were added? Cause there mm -hmm. is a lot of social, um, you know, people is just socially upset about it, but I understand there may be some sort of other tax to try to prevent. There are uh, several other taxes actually. There's okay. actually a, a, several things have been done. First, the provincial government, put in a foreign buyer's tax, uh, which is actually a few years ago now. Uh, it was in, I guess it was 2016 that first came in. Uh, so there's a foreign buyer's tax. So if you're not uh, a BC resident or a Canadian resident or uh, permanent resident status, then you pay an additional tax when you purchase the property, which is, uh, quite significant. Now, in addition to that, if you don't live in the property and it's vacant and there isn't some specific reason for it to be vacant, there is what's called a, a speculation and vacancy tax, uh, which is 2% of the assessed value of the property annually. Oh, wow. Okay. So it's big. Yeah. Uh, and then and then some municipalities like the city of Vancouver also has uh, a Vancouver vacant homes tax, which uh, is also payable if the, if the home sits vacant and it's not under permit or it doesn't have a tenant in it, or, you know, if it's actually just vacant and just sitting there, then yes, there's taxes to be paid. Now the amount of revenue that's been generated by all these taxes isn't a lot. So yeah these taxes being in place has kind of, uh, I guess, quieted the storm a little bit in terms of uh, public displeasure with all these vacant homes mm -hmm. uh, because they're actually not vacant for no reason. There are some certainly that are vacant and people are paying these taxes, but the revenue being generated certainly isn't at the level that the public or the media uh, thought it would be. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, that's a uh, that's very interesting. Now, are do you find many of them are just converting those into some rentals then, or it just wasn't that number wasn't that high to begin with? Uh, I think uh, I think a number of them were already rentals, and uh, you know, I'm to be perfectly honest, there are places where it's obvious that there are homes that are vacant that aren't being occupied, um, but. Uh, a lot of the homes that are tenanted, the tenants don't take as good a care of the property as the homeowner would. So they might look like they're vacant and not cared for, 
which mm -hmm. is just as much of an eyesore in a neighborhood as a vacant home might be. So there's certainly some of that that has kind of come to light where, you know, they are tenant occupied and the tenants, uh, you know, travel for business or whatever. So there might be uh, periods of time, like a month at a time where there's no one there, mm. but it's actually an occupied home. Somebody lives there. Somebody is paying rent there. Somebody's paying utilities there. The property taxes are being paid and all that kind of stuff. It's not just an abandoned uh, property. So there's more, there's more to it than, than most people think. They just, you know, try to point the finger at the bad guy and say, Oh, somebody's, you know, destroying the, uh, the appeal of our, our city. Well, you know, I don't think that's anyone's intent. The, the reason that people buy property in, uh, in this area is because of the character of, of the area. You know, it's beautiful here where, you know, we have, uh, mountains on one side of us, ocean on another side of us. Uh, and, you know, everything here you could want. Like, you can go to the world's best ski resort. Uh, it's an hour from my door. And on my way there, I can play nine holes of golf and in the sunshine, right? So, you know, I can, I can go sailing, golfing, and, and snow skiing all in the same day. And there's not many places in the world where that can happen. Right. Wow. That, that, that does sound like a dream. <laughs> Very nice. And, and so can you share from your business perspective, you know, what percent was through referrals? What percent is, are you doing any sort of advertising and, and moving forward, do you see that those ratios change at all? Um, yeah, it, like the vast majority of, of our business is uh, repeat and referral. Um, but we are, you know, we do get some business from, from Facebook and from just internet leads from our website or, you know, in Canada, we have this great website called realtor.ca, mm. uh, which is basically the whole country's MLS combined into one, one website. Okay. So, uh, you know, it's in Canada, there's, there's about a hundred different, uh, MLSs, not like in the States where there's thousands, mm. uh, but they, they all feed into this one website that's available around the world. So, you could go on there from your place in the United States and look at properties all over Canada. So we do get some leads from that. We get some leads from our own website. Uh, we get some leads from Facebook and we get a lot of referrals. Uh, we just have uh, a lot of past clients that, that know us, like us and trust us. So I, uh, most of our business is referrals. Interesting. Is, is Zillow or Redfin, those types of companies in your market at all? Redfin exists, but not, not at a, uh, they don't have a presence. Uh, okay. And Zillow also uh, exists in Canada, but not like it does in the States. Uh, right. It definitely does not have the foothold in Canada that it has in the States. Uh, it's not the same here. Uh, and, you know, from a realtor perspective, we're lucky because we have this, uh, you know, great uh, website that's, been around for a long time that is co-owned by all the realtors in the country and it has all the listings on it right and it has you know lots of other great features that the public likes to use so for somebody for a competitor like a zillow to come in and create a website it's more difficult than it is uh in the u.s now certainly in terms of 
the organization of real estate in Canada, it's not as fragmented as it is in the US. Mm -hmm. Like for me to operate in, uh, in all the municipalities around uh, Greater Vancouver, uh, I use one MLS. Oh, wow. Okay. So it's, yeah. it's one, like, I don't, I don't have memberships in multiple different MLS providers. It's one. So uh, it's quite different than most markets in the US. Yeah. Was it, was it always that way? Or was it um, the MLS saw the need might as well join together and become one entity? Was it ever fragmented? Uh, well, there are, yeah, I'm, you know, even in the time that I've been around, uh, it's changed. Like we didn't have technology when I started selling real estate, we were on right. five part carbon forms, you right? Know, press hard. You're making five copies. Right. And, uh, and our, uh, our MLS was a book. Like we carried right. around this, you know, soft cover paper Bible that had all the listings in it. And that's, that was our listing database. And then, you know, we were one of the first areas in, in North America that actually had a computerized MLS database. And at that point, it was divided up. So there was Greater Vancouver, Fraser Valley. Uh, and there was actually, there used to be five, uh, five regions within kind of the lower mainland that all had independent MLSs. But once the technology was there, yeah. it very quickly became... Uh, kind of a partnership between the lo the local uh, real estate boards that run the MLSs, and uh, it's been combined into one for a long time. Wow, that's awesome! Actually, it was interesting. Is in the Bay Area we have a lot of different MLSs, but fortunately they did work out a way that we we're able to see uh, the others and make updates to the other, even though they're still separate. They didn't go through the journey that you guys went through of actually just making it one. Yeah. Um, but at least there is that access. Uh, so we're not having, you know, I know other areas like you literally cross the other city, you have nothing now, which is just crazy. Um, but fortunately in the Bay area, you still get access to the others. You can see what's going on. You can pull stats, but it is still, you're right. It's still fragmented. Yeah. Um, so for us in greater Vancouver, it's one database, which wow. makes it, makes it way easier, much easier for us. And it actually provides a much better service for the public. I mean, mm -hmm. if I had my way and I probably never will in my lifetime, but if I had my, my way, there'd be one MLS for the whole province of British Columbia. Right. Which I mean, it's, it's a massive land area. Uh, but the majority of the people are in the greater Vancouver area, mm -hmm. but there's still, there's still multiple different, uh, systems outside of the greater Vancouver area. Mm-hmm. Got it. And so how are you staying uh, on top of mind to your clients these days? Did you used to run like client appreciation events, live events? Yes. Um, but with that, how are you looking forward of, I mean, you can't really do as much of that today, at least in the foreseeable future. How, how are you staying on top of mind and, and just checking in on them? Like what, what strategy are you doing? Uh, well, I'll tell you, first of all, our biggest client events uh, and we've been been running a, it for this would have been our thirteenth year wow. is an Easter egg hunt, mm. and uh, we get about six hundred uh, of our clients that come out to our Easter egg hunt. And of course, wow. this year we had to cancel it. 
it's also a giant fundraiser for the local food bank, which is too bad, but uh, we weren't allowed to hold it this year. So it was right. a big miss. And, uh, you know, it's interesting that probably half of the people that would normally come to our Easter egg hunt either called, texted, or emailed us and said, hey, just thinking about you, happy Easter. So oh, wow. that's the kind of impact that you can create by having, and it's a community event. Like, you know, you have 600 people that gather in a local park to have an Easter egg hunt every year for 12 years in a row. It becomes a thing, right? right. So uh, people miss it because that's what they did on Easter Sunday for, you know, the past 10 or 12 years. Uh, so yeah, that was a, we, we definitely missed that one. It was like, wow, that's the one time of year where we see a lot of our clients in one place at one time. So uh, we've just had to, and honestly, the initial shock of, wow, like our society is essentially shut down. The initial shock of that was pretty big for a lot of people. And, you know, we actually took a couple of weeks before, uh, before we kind of even tried to engage anybody or, or chat with anybody. But mm -hmm. really right now we're, uh, we're really just using technology, you know, talking to people through Facebook uh, and, you know, a lot of, it's funny, a lot of people don't use the telephone anymore. We have, we have some people, but uh, a lot of it is like some form of instant message, whether it's, uh, you know, Facebook Messenger or text messages or that kind of thing. It, there's a lot of that. I mean, I, I haven't looked, but I bet that my text message count is probably in the, you know, it's got to be probably 15,000 range per month <laughs> now. So it's, it's a lot. Like, there's a lot of text messages going on. Uh, we do try to, you know, Certainly, we have some clients that are we're still engaged with and and transacting business with. So uh, they're quite vocal right now. When something good is happening in their lives, they're telling the world. So uh, that's actually been uh, pretty significant over the last couple of months as well. Where you know we're actually still helping somebody, but we're making sure they're safe. We're making sure that we're following the required protocols. We're making making sure that we have the technology in place where we can actually show their home without allowing strangers into their house. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, there's, there's been a lot of that kind of viral uh, marketing that's going on on behalf of our clients. So that's probably, uh, I guess, the biggest win. You know, if that continues for the rest of my career, I'm going to be pretty happy. Nice. Very nice. I'll, I'll finish off with one more question. Out of all the areas that you have seen, and, and a lot of areas might have been gentrified, a lot of maybe new opportunities given the change, are there particular areas in, in the metro that uh, that you're very bullish on than before? So it sounds like downtown is likely, just, there's going to be some negative impact just given the density. You mentioned about rent, likely housing. But are there other areas, whether it's Vancouver Island or, or, or northern parts of Vancouver, that you're very bullish on, especially now, or it has been going on for some time that people don't know about? Well, I think people are starting to learn about uh, more of the outer edges of the suburbs. Like, uh, you know, Vancouver itself uh, is quite small geographically and quite dense, but as you move out, there's a lot of other cities, like every metro area, there's a lot of other cities that are attached. Uh, 
my feeling personally is that, uh, well, certainly growth-wise, uh, we're going to see a lot of growth in Surrey and Langley and in Maple Ridge, which are kind of the, the outer reaches of the lower mainland of British Columbia. Mm. Uh, so those are kind of the areas, like if I had to pick two and one on each, if you don't know the geography here, we have a big river, the Fraser River, that runs right through the middle of the area. Uh, and there's municipalities on both sides and, and bridges, much like you know, the Bay Area, there's bridges everywhere. We have bridges everywhere too. And we're also in an earthquake zone. So if there's an earthquake, all the bridges are going to fall and nobody's going to be able to go anywhere. Uh, so yeah, uh, on the south side of the river, the Langley area uh, is going to grow over the next few years. Uh, you know, the transit access to it is going to be better uh, and prices are going to increase. On the north side of the river, Kind of up against the mountains a little bit more wilderness area and it's actually where i live now i keep moving further east out of <laughs> out of vancouver it's simply because you know it's more affordable uh and you can have a pretty nice home without uh you know scaring yourself to death with the price uh so maple ridge is actually an area that still has a little bit of a of a a little bit more of a rural vibe but is also going to grow. It's the most affordable area in greater Vancouver and uh, it's a great value. So I think we're going to see a lot in, in those two areas uh, primarily where uh, people are going to be uh, attracted to live. And if they can work remotely and not have to go downtown, then those are, those are going to be explosive growth. Interesting. And what are the average prices there? And are they generally new homes being constructed or are they just older homes that people just didn't have an appetite uh, for? Well, if you're looking for a detached home, like a, a detached single family home, uh, and you want something new, you have to go out mm -hmm. that far uh, because most of the stuff downtown, I mean, there's some infill development where they're knocking down an old house and putting up a new one, but uh, the bulk of it is, is, you know, an hour out of the core uh, to get to an area where you can have uh, a lot with a single family home on it. So uh, kind of the, the normal price for a, a, a single family home uh, in those like in Maple Ridge or Langley would be in the, you know, 1.25, 1.3 million area. Got that's, it. that's normal for a detached home. There's also, you know, townhome market uh, out in the burbs where, you know, you can buy a pretty nice townhouse for $600,000. Uh, you can buy a condo for, you know, uh, a one bedroom condo is probably around the $350,000 range. Wow. Very nice. Okay. Yeah. That, that, I'm, I was a little surprised, actually. I thought it would be a lot less. Uh, going that far out, but uh, no. Yeah, if you go downtown, that same yeah. uh, that same one bedroom condo yeah. would be uh, that's three fifty in the burbs would probably be eight hundred. So I see, interesting, very nice. Well, let's go ahead and wrap it up. Thank you so much all right. for all of your insights. Um, what is the what are the best ways of people to get a hold of you? Um, yeah, what are the best ways? Uh, best way is probably email or or text. Uh, you can email me. My email is darcy at nestgroup.ca. Uh, you can find our website online, nestgroup.ca. 
you can find me on uh, Facebook or Instagram at Nest Group. Just uh, look for Nest Group. Uh, or you can uh, you can text me or call me directly on my cell phone at 604-671-4092. All right. Well, very good. Well, thank you so much for the opportunity to talk to you. Uh, it's great to learn about the, the local market. Like I said, this is the first time we're di- we've done one uh, out of the States. So it, it is very different uh, to Come hear. To Canada, you'll love it. Well, I've been to Vancouver many times. <laughs> uh, I do love it. <laughs> can't, can't deny on that. Well, very good. We'll wrap it up. Um, next week, we'll have two more special guests for our weekly Wednesday special. We're just kind of wrapping some of those uh, details up. But uh, other than that, thank you for tuning in. Have a good rest of the week. Bye now. Thanks, Spencer. Hey, Podcast World. Thank you so much for your support. I do post at least three shows a week. If you like the content, please leave a five-star review, smash that subscribe button, and share it with your friends. Looking forward to have you back at the next one. Bye now.